You're listening to Comedy Central. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Great news, by the way. Um, the World Health Organization has announced that they now have a vaccine for malaria. Yeah. Well, that's not the enthusiasm I was hoping for. But I guess as Americans, you guys are just like, oh, well, who cares? This is huge for Africa, people. You know how many people die of malaria in Africa? And now, like, that's just like, it's it. It's on now. It's like, you know? And you see, this is, this is what whoever made this vaccine figured out the way to make vaccines. Because they were like, oh, it's taken us 100 years to make this malaria vaccine. Now everyone in Africa is going to be like, we need that vaccine. We need that vaccine. We need that vaccine. That's what they should have done with COVID. That was the problem with this new, with this Pfizer, Moderna, all of that. They made it look too easy. Yeah. They made it look way too easy. They were like, oh, yeah, we're going to try and make a vaccine. We got it. And then Americans were like, I don't want it. <laughs> what they should have done is they should have been like, all right, guys, uh, we got uh, 50 at best. Uh, not everybody's going to get the vaccine. So uh, let's hope for the best. Then Americans will be like, I will kill you for that vaccine. Scarcity, my friends. That's what they should have done. Malaria, gone. Boom. Now what are mosquitoes gonna do? Nothing. I almost missed the edge of being bitten by a mosquito where I didn't know how it was gonna end. This is like a weird, like, you know, every time I'd get bitten by a mosquito, anywhere I was traveling in Africa, I'd always be like, is this the day? (laughs) Now it's just like, nah, this shit's just gonna itch. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square, the most important place on earth. It's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, late these settle up. The government makes it rain. And Monica Lewinsky. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with the public library, the best place to find a faded poster of LL Cool J. As much as people love libraries, nobody likes those late fees that pile up if you forget to return a book. Because it's weird, right? Like, librarians are the nicest, gentlest people in the world, and then they just spring on you. It's like, enjoy the cat in the hat, sweetie, and have it back by Tuesday, or I will fucking drown you in debt. Well, now, some libraries are throwing in the towel. The nation's largest public library system says it's dropping all late fees for overdue books and other borrowed materials forever. In addition, library card holders have had their accounts wiped clean of any earlier fines. The idea is to encourage more people to use library resources. A spokesperson said that for people who can afford them, fines do little to encourage returning books on time. But for people who are struggling financially, those fines become a barrier to using libraries. 300 library systems across the country have already canceled fees. And while they typically generate three to four million dollars a year here in New York, library officials say they can make up the difference from other revenue sources. Wow. No more late fees. That's actually really exciting. I've never been to a bookless library before. No, but but this actually is great news, right? Instead of late fees just piling up forever, they'll just charge you the price of the book if you never return it, which makes the whole library experience so much more relaxed, you know? Like, I love libraries, but there's so many rules, so many rules. No talking, 
No smoking, no cockfighting rings. Loosen up, people. Although, I will be honest, I'm kind of gonna miss late fees. You know, it was the only thing forcing me to actually finish my library books. Like, if I didn't have that nickel a week hanging over me, I never would have found out why that caterpillar was so hungry. I actually never found out. I just, I just, yeah, I never did. And like they said, libraries don't need late fees. They can find other sources of revenue. You know, like, I don't know, a vending machine that only sells food you eat quietly. Or renting out hollow books for assassins to keep their guns in. Hell, they could start renting out libraries on Airbnb. I think it's a perfect idea. It's quiet, there's furniture, you can have sex in it. There's a 75-year-old woman who lives there who you can talk to, but don't have to talk to. It's just like an Airbnb. Moving on. These days, we talk a lot about systemic racism and how subtle discrimination is baked into all levels of society. But it's important to remember that America is not all like that. There's also very obvious one-on-one -on -one racism. So imagine moving your family into your dream home to start a new life, only to find yourself subjected to nonstop harassment from your new neighbor. That's what a black family in Virginia Beach has been living with. They describe an escalating campaign of racial slurs, loud music, and monkey noises. Whenever we would step out of our house, the monkey noises would start so racist and it's disgusting. Like, I don't even know how else to explain it. The minute I open my front door, his lights blink or my music or my song comes on. Local police say while the behavior is appalling, it is not criminally actionable. Are you shitting me? I, I, I can't even believe that this is a real story in real life. And honestly, I, I actually find this kind of racism so baffling because this guy may be playing loud music and noises to harass his neighbors, but he's the one closest to the music and the loud noises. Like, is your racism really worth it if you can't even have a conversation in your own house? Hey, honey, I'm really ruining life for that black family! What? No, I'm not coming back from anything! No, the black family! I'm going deaf! I love you too! And I'm sorry, man, but the police claiming that they can't do anything, that's such bullshit. Why don't they use one of those vague laws that they charge black people with all the time, like disturbing the peace, or your house has a broken taillight, sir. But yeah, I guess some people are just assholes. And without the police on their side, the Martinez family doesn't have a lot of options to stop the music and the monkey noises from playing. Although, one thing they could do is release some actual monkeys into the neighborhood. Yeah, because think about it, being racist is fun until a monkey hears mating sounds. Next thing you know, your racist ass is getting pounded by a monkey, all because you didn't want black neighbors. And finally, to the big celebrity news that everyone is talking about. No, not Britney finally being able to watch PG-13 movies. I'm talking about the radical interior decorating of pop star Megan Trainer. When you're married, it can often feel like you do everything together with your significant other. You know, watching shows, going shopping, you name it. But one celebrity, well, let's just say this couple is taking it to the next level when it comes to togetherness. Singer Megan Trainer had two toilets installed next to each other in her bathroom so that she and her husband can go to the bathroom at the same time. We've only pooped together twice. You? We pee at the same time a lot. White people. This really shows you how different relationships can be, right? 
Like you have some people who are like, I never fart in front of my spouse. And then you have other couples going, honey, I just booked a couple's dump for later tonight and I hope to see you there. And get that, they've pooped together not once, but twice. I mean, twice says a lot. Twice says you did it once and then looked at each other like, we should do that again. And they think this brings them closer as a couple, but I also think it could backfire. Excuse the pun. Like, if her husband ever gets constipated, she's gonna think he's having an affair. All I'm saying is I would never do this. Like, I only poop the normal way, right? Next to a stranger with a one-inch wall between us. How God intended. But let's move on to our top story. Money. It's why you used to leave dead teeth under your pillow like a psychopath. And now Congress is fighting over just how much of it to spend. President Biden is launching a public campaign for a massive social spending bill and working behind the scenes to make it smaller, telling fellow Democrats that the multi-trillion dollar plan will have to be cut by more than one third. He and House Democrats spent the morning discussing what to cut in order to secure the votes they need. That's like saying, pick your favorite child. Uh, these are good programs. Democrats told the president they're most wedded to the bill's new climate protections, paid family leave, universal pre-K, and an extension of the child tax credit. But that leaves other measures in limbo, including two free years of community college and adding dental and vision coverage to Medicare. Republicans are unified in their opposition to the plan. What our colleagues are proposing and planning is absolutely jaw-dropping. I mean, I don't actually have a jaw, but if I did, it would be dropping right now. Bah. Yeah, but that's right. The Democrats are fighting with each other over how to spend the government's money, and the Republicans don't want them to be spending any money. And as always, whenever there's a debate in America, the two sides retreat to their echo chambers. Like, instead of sitting in a room and talking things out, and, and I'll be honest, guys, I'm guilty of that too. Like in my family, we don't agree on anything politically. I've got two brothers. One of them is way more liberal than me. And then the other one is super conservative. And we've also lost the ability to hash things out. So I've decided that instead of being part of the problem, I'm gonna try being part of a panel. In our brand new segment, Disagree to Agree. Well, Trey, Traverius, thank you for joining me on the show. Glad to be here, cuck. I am not a cuck, <laughs> but thank you and welcome, Trey. Thank you, cuck. What, you too? Yes, but I'm saying it in a good way. Don't be ashamed of your kinks, Trevor. I honor your cuckiness. Well, I'm, I'm not ashamed and I'm not a cuck. What you should be ashamed of is being a shill for the corporate media. What are your masters at Viacom telling you to plug today, huh? Well, nothing, they don't tell me to plug any. Well, actually, there's this new show on uh, Paramount Plus. It's a, it's a new Star Trek show. And yeah, no, you know what? That's not important. That's not important, right? Let's just get into the subject at hand. I know you guys both have strong opinions on Biden's spending bill, so I just wanted to hear your thoughts. My thoughts are that we're broke ass bitches, Trevor. This country is already $29 trillion in debt. We can't be spending another three and a half trillion we don't have. Uh, I'm not gonna take counting advice from the guy who thinks Trump won by 97 jabrillion votes. Besides, all of these programs will be fully paid for with the tax increases 
on the rich. We're coming for that billionaire money like we're Grimes' lawyer, Here baby. Here we go again with the raising taxes on the wealthy. Well, guess what, buddy? The wealthy are the job creators. If you keep taxing them, they're not gonna create jobs. What jobs? You mean the guy who designs Jeff Bezos' penis ship? We don't want those kinds of jobs. It's time for the rich to stop leeching off of this country. Motherfucker, you're rich. Do not call me the R word. I am upper, upper middle class, okay? Okay, okay, guys, guys. Calm down, <laughs> let's bring it down. This, this is getting messier than that time we all tried to slide out of mom's birth canal at the same time. So let's, <laughs> let's slow this down. Okay, Traverius, here's my question. If the spending bill is fully paid for, that's a good thing. You have to admit, right? I don't admit. Because the Democrats are using a bunch of accounting tricks to make it look like it's paid for, but it's not. Trust me. I broke into the budget office on January 6th. I saw the projections. I wish you hadn't confessed that on air. Look, I'm sorry, I don't live in a fantasy world where all this spending won't cost anything and won't cause inflation to explode. I mean, have you seen the price of gas lately? I, I drive, drive a, a Tesla. Tesla. Jinx, I knew it. Well done, well done. But if anyone is living in a fantasy world, it's you right-wingers. You have no idea what it's like for the average person out there. You want everyone to go back to work. But how are they supposed to do that when childcare in this country is basically cocoa melon on an iPad? That's why we need this bill. Okay, hold up. Why should my tax dollars help you raise your gender-neutral kids? They're not my kids. I decided not to have any. You decided not to have any? Your wife left you. Hey. We mutually decided to kick me out of the house. And by the way, Trevor, thanks for letting me crash. Yeah, I, I, got, I got you, man, I got you. Uh, you. You do have to admit, some of these programs make sense. I mean, like paid sick leave, don't people deserve that? Look, America has the greatest economy in history because people go to work whether they're sick or not. It's worked for 200 years. Let's not fuck around with it now. You realize that basically every developed country already has this stuff, right? This isn't like a novel idea. Yeah. You know who else has all of this stuff? Venezuela. That's what happens when the government promises to take care of everything for everybody. Get the wheelbarrow of cash, honey. We gotta buy a slice of bread. So you don't think that people- Venezuela. Venezuela. Have an opportunity. Venezuela, like, Venezuela, 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 Venezuela. Basic Venezuela. services that Venezuela. could help them to Venezuela. live in a world where they Venezuela. don't have their survival defined Venezuela. by Venezuela. Guys, 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 please. Whew. Now oh, I see why Chuck Todd always looks so tired. Can you, can you just talk properly? You know what, Trevarius? Maybe you're not affected by children or sick people, but the issue that does affect you is climate change. And yeah, this bill spends a lot of money on climate change now, but if we don't pass it, we'll be spending a lot more money when Miami goes underwater. And I'm pretty sure Pitbull can't swim. Oh, so, so now you care about Miami. You told me you wanted to saw Florida off into the ocean. I didn't say that. I just tweeted a gif of Bugs Bunny doing that. It's completely different. Okay. It's a joke. Okay, guys, guys, look. 
I, I don't think we're going to come to an agreement here today. So uh, if you don't mind, could you just give me your final thoughts? Look, this is the bottom line. We're creating an entitlement mentality in this country. If you just give people free stuff, they have no incentive to work for it. But we have people working two jobs who still can't afford to live. Exactly. And that incentivizes them to get a third job. The system works. You know what I find rich? Yourself? What I find rich is how you keep saying that there's no money left, but when conservatives were in power, ooh, you spent that money like you won the Powerball. Yeah, and you see, we had to spend that money because we knew that when you came in, you would waste it all. Guys, 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 you, you're obviously far apart on all of these issues, but you must recognize that for anything to get done in this country, people are gonna have to compromise and find some common ground and work together, right? That sounds like some weak, centrist bullshit to me. Yeah, you know what? He's right. You sound like a little bitch, Trevor. Well, at least you guys agree on something. Thanks for joining me, guys. All right, when we come back, we'll find out how Hollywood really works, and Monica Lewinsky will be joining me on the show. You don't want to miss it. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't think he'll get it. This mother fight with each other like that. I'll only on, come back because you pay on, me a much? I, I, with like my brothers, we could have done a better <laughs> oh, job of shit. encouraging people to... I just write you a check? Civil. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Welcome back to The Daily Show. During the COVID pandemic, many schools switched to remote learning, and it was a total success that everyone loved. So we at The Daily Show also created a remote learning program, except ours skips calculus and grammar in favor of lessons that you will actually need in life. So grab a pencil and a pen and prepare to attend another class of Remotely Educational. How Hollywood Works. This is Hollywood, home of the major motion picture studios who produce all your favorite movies. The filmmaking process begins with a writer's idea for a new story. The writer toils day and night to turn that idea into a script. The studio then throws away the script and green lights a reboot of an older idea. After the script's selected, the movie's cast with children of celebrities and actors the producers want to have sex with. Now that the movie's cast, it's time to go into production in Atlanta, where tax advantages and lower wages attract all of Hollywood's left-wing executives. Once the movie's been shot, a rough cut sent to Beijing, where censors make sure the film doesn't offend Party leadership. After a few edits, the film enjoys a red carpet premiere with stars dressed in evening wear, and then a wide release with the general public dressed in sweatpants. And finally, it's buried deep in the menu of a streaming service where few people will ever find it. But that's all right, because chances are the movie was terrible anyway. And that is how Hollywood works. All right, when we come back, Monica Lewinsky will be joining me on the show. You don't want to miss it. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Welcome back 
to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is producer and activist Monica Lewinsky. She's here to talk about her brand new documentary that unpacks our culture of public shaming. Monica Lewinsky, welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you, Trevor. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Before we get into the interview, I, I did one of this. Does everybody call you Monica Lewinsky always? Like, it's like, it, <laughs> no. Um, well, I, I guess in a professional setting in an interview, maybe, people either do that or I've also felt people very familiarly will call me Monica. Let's talk about the reason you're on the show today, 15 Minutes of Shame, a new documentary film that's going to be premiering on HBO Max tomorrow. And it delves into a subject that you yourself you know, you, you refer, refer to yourself as patient zero. Mm -hmm. You know, you say, I am the patient zero of this whole thing. And, and really you were because your story blew up right when the internet was really becoming a thing. Information was flying across the globe. So my first question to you is, as, as a human in this, why would you want to go back into that? Why, why would you want to delve back into a story that I can only assume was one of the worst periods of your life? I think had my life um, unfolded differently and had there been a different path that allowed me to get back on a more normal developmental path or to get a job and um, move forward in life, I'm not 100% sure I'd, I'd be wow, an anti-bullying advocate at the, at the moment. But really what happened for me was after graduate school, I realized that I couldn't run away from what happened. Mm -hmm. I had to integrate it and I had to do a lot of work around that. And in the process of that, in that time span, um, it just became clear that, that what happened to me, and I made a mistake, but what happened to me was now happening to many other people, especially young people. Right. It's not easy. This isn't easy for me to do, wow. but it's important. Okay. I think it's important work. And um, when I hear from people that it's been meaningful, whether it's a teacher mm -hmm, who's mm -hmm. helped a student or something else, um, and that's, I think that's me and everybody who's working in this space, uh, it, it of course is worthwhile. Well, well, you know what's really interesting about this subject for me is um, the, the, the concept of being shamed online is, is one that I feel is constantly gonna evolve in that what I love about this film that, that you've helped create is you take us through the story and the journey of shaming. Mm -hmm. You know, you take us to a time before internet, before newspapers even. It's like, here we are, we're gonna tar and feather people. We're gonna stone people in a public square. There's always this idea of shaming the person with that punishment. Um, but, 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 you know, as the internet has grown, the thing I've often said to people is, there was a world where it would be celebrities or people who are in some status position who will be shamed. Mm -hmm. But because of social media, it is only in inevitable that everybody will achieve some level of celebrity that will then enable them to be shamed on the same level. And I feel like that's what you've started talking about in these stories is it's gone from being presidents and actors to now just being a high school girl, to now just being a man who works in a factory, to now just being somebody who took a picture with their family and the picture was taken the wrong way. That seems like a, a change in how society is looking at who to bully and who to shame. Absolutely. You're 100% right. I think that um, one of the factors, and, and we do take people through this in the film, is around the idea of how shame had been used since the beginning of time as a social tool. Mm -hmm. And when the printing press was uh, invented, mm -hmm. it all of a sudden leapfrogged into being something that could now be commoditized. Right. And then once the tabloid culture bled into every area of our culture, you know, leading up to Princess Diana's death, right. which, you know, was a function of 
paparazzi live in that world, right. the tabloid world, right? That's where their income comes from. And so there was that moment, and that was only five months before 1998. So we, we didn't make a cultural shift. And the internet being there when 98 happened, um, it, it, then, it then grew from there. But I think what we're seeing now too is that this is very much about power, right? It's about like, are there people in power who should face consequences? Right. Absolutely. But are there people who are not in positions of power who are facing the same consequence and, and it's ruining their lives in a way that is very different? Yes to that too. You know, and I'm not sure I think, it, you know, so it's not only people in power, but it's also the power, too, that we have as as citizens, as right. people. Right. To turn With into the a power mob, really. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I don't know how you feel about cancel culture and kind of the term cancel culture, but I think it's for me, it's just become a little too broad. Yeah, I, I, I think when I look at it is I, I go, um, I think. Everyone says cancel culture, and it, it, it seems like it embodies everything. Right. And I go, well, sometimes it's consequences. Sometimes it's criticism. And I think it has become a broad term that doesn't enable us, enable us to have better conversations about which aspects of it I agree, 100%. We, we, we want to monitor. That's what I, I loved in the film. Yeah. You specifically don't just go, guys, let's not um, use the internet and let's not poke, <laughs> right. you no. know, let's not poke at people. You, you, you talk about all the upsides. I think there really is a kind of a beauty and a beast to the internet. Yeah. And we see it with, you know, look at the social change that has happened. We call it shaming for change, but right. around hashtags with Me Too or Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter, mm -hmm. you know, that that is um, that kind of power that can come from the social tool is um, shame is a social tool is invaluable. And that's giving a power to people who haven't had a voice for a long time right. to right. hold others accountable. But then you do have instances, you know, we have all shades of gray in the film, and including the clip that you showed, right. is somebody who never made a mistake. In fact, the opposite. She did everything that you were supposed to do and then some and face this just horrific, horrific white supremacist um, mob online. Right. You know, one thing the documentary made me realize, and I know that I've been guilty of this as well. I've been on both sides of it. I've been publicly shamed. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I've had my canceling moments and all of that. But I know that I've also been part of mobs. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is when you're in the mob, though, there's a disconnect between you and the human. And so you don't even realize the, the, the size of the, the pebble that you're, yeah. you're throwing because it gets combined with everyone else. So, you know, I, I remember back in the day, it's like, oh, Tiger Woods. And then I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I've got a joke about Tiger Woods. I'll tweet this because it's funny. It's just me. It's by myself. And then it, it gets amplified, as you say. Exactly. And you don't realize that you have become part of a thing where if you stepped back, if you saw somebody's life mm -hmm. and if you saw the mob you were part of, you may be able to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I wasn't trying to do that to somebody. I thought it was harmless. I thought it was meaningless, but it went to one human being. And so is that, is that like, as somebody who's experienced it, is that why it was important for you to show the people behind the stories to understand the story holistically? Absolutely. I think not only, I think that, the, that really what felt important was for people to come to understand what happens in these shamings and what does it feel like to be on the receiving end of that tidal wave of negativity, and it's not even, it's, it's exacerbated from being just shame, but also can be violence. Right. You know, so I mean, and, and that violence doesn't just live particularly for women. Um, it doesn't always just live online. So um, I, I think too that there was, you know, we don't, um, we don't get to know these people 
of who they were the moment before, mm. whatever it is happened, mm. happened, right? And, um, and so I think in, in the same way, and I understand that, I was, I didn't have much of a history to, you know, what happened to me in 98. Right, my, right. This was my first job out of college. Right. So I, there, you know, wasn't much there. But that sense of, and that, that is one of the really emotionally devastating experiences around having a shaming like that is that feeling, the irony of being so seen and not being seen at all for Ooh. who you truly are. Yeah, I, you know? I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so I yeah. think that there's, and, and we haven't... You spend all your time, time trying to claw back the you that people don't see. You, exactly. You, 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 because they've defined you now. Everyone right. goes, this is who you are. And you're like, no, 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 I, I grew up like this and I have parents and I have family and I have friends and I make good decisions and I, you know what I mean? Yes, and, and in that way, your narrative runs away from you. It's yeah. your identity is stolen. And I think you're so right about the mob mentality. You know, one of the things, I don't know, maybe it's written somewhere, but I, I'm sort of fascinated by this idea of, you know, did people in stoning times, did people pick up more than one stone? Or was it they threw one stone oh, and they had the moment of seeing the person's reaction, you know, an energetic feeling of, of someone, you know, what it felt like to be hit right. by that stone? Right. I don't know. You know, but today with, you know, they call it the um, online disinhibition effect. So this sense of um, what happens online is that because you're, you're dealing with a screen and not yes. another person, yes. you take on a different identity. That a lot of these behaviors and the ways that we see empathy and feel empathy are just... Are, you're, you're unable to see that. You're unable to feel it online. You know, you know what I think it is? I think if we're not careful as people, we stop seeing each other as people. And then we live in a world where, you know, we take on these avatars as humans. Mm -hmm. We go after the other humans. We don't realize it's happening. And then we're all walking around with traumas and PTSDs and anxieties. And, but, but that's not who we actually are. It's like a, it's like a, a, a fake polarization that, that then happens. And, and so be, before I let you go, I'd, I'd love to know, as somebody who experienced arguably the greatest level of public shaming that human beings have seen, I mean, across continents, your, 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 your name was, was, was uttered. I'd love to know how you figured out a way to go like, you know what, yeah, I am Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, everyone has made these shitty jokes about me. Yes, the whole country at some point was, was saying this, but you know what, I'm now gonna take control of my, I'm gonna reclaim my narrative. How did you do that? It was definitely not a straight line to that, and it was not a linear process at all. So I think that it happened for me, um, it happened in stages because also my, my ability to even see and understand what had happened to me mm -hmm. and the consequences of some of those things didn't become apparent for years, for a decade. It wasn't until I got out of graduate school, I had a master's in social psychology from London School of Economics, and I couldn't get hired. Wow. You know, and so then I started to realize, oh, this is this is a lot more damage to wow. to me to what had happened than I had realized at that point, and I didn't set out to reclaim my narrative. I set out to heal, and healing for me was I mean I would try anything. I did a lot of um, consciousness and energy work, but mm -hmm, I've also mm -hmm. had a lot of therapy. So I think it was this process, and as I changed, the world was also changing. But it, it mm. eventually became, it was around um, seeing what was now happening, this new landscape online yeah. to other people that made me realize, well, there may be some, some validity or some help. And like, if, if I'm the poster child for having been publicly shamed and my life may not be great right now, but I'm still here, that might help someone. 
And so that, that sort of began the process. And it was, um, it was actually the younger generations. You know, uh, I was, Graydon Carter gave me a chance to write a first-person essay for Vanity Fair in mm -hmm, 2014. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was I wasn't going to be defined through a journalist's eyes. Mm. I was going to define myself. I was going to say what I wanted. And it was the younger generations who insisted that the older generations who had really been around at the right. time said, whoa, whoa. Let's, you know, stop and, and have a rethink about this situation. Not to say I shouldn't have um, had some blame. I certainly try to take responsibility for those things. But the idea that I bore more responsibility and more um, the consequences were way worse for me oh, than they were for the most powerful man in the world and mm -hmm. some of the other people in the scandal all 20 years older than me is insane. Yeah. So I, I, you know, and I hope from all the projects I do with this documentary, with American Crime Story Impeachment, anything else, that it is, that it just kind of chips away at what it is that happened to me so that can't happen to someone else. Hmm. I feel you there. I, uh, I appreciate you. I really do. Thank, thank you for you. taking the time. Thanks, Trevor. Um, thank you for making us ask a few questions about ourselves because I think, you know, the mistake we make sometimes in society is we like to make it seem like other people are always shitty mm -hmm. when I think we all have a little shittiness inside of us and we don't even realize what that shittiness is or how it contributes to just like, you know, becoming a giant rock that we're throwing at other people. So thank you for telling the story. Thank you for healing. And um, thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you. It's been wonderful having you. Yeah, thank you. 15 Minutes of Shame will be available to stream on HBO Max October 7th. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Love The Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go... This week is Mental Illness Awareness Week, so please consider supporting the ACOMA Project. The ACOMA Project offers free virtual therapy and workshops for teens and young adults of color, as well as educating youth and their families on the importance of mental health. So if you want to support them in this work, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, life is short. So tonight, Sit your loved ones down and poop with them. Just poop. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Ow.